Good morning and thank you for taking your time to be here with us. And uh, could you please speak about your current uh, uh, field of work and say something about the research questions you are focusing on in particular? Well, um, thank you for having me. I, so I'm a research and evaluation advisor with the International Rescue Committee and um, our portfolio of projects and topics um, is quite broad. Um, we work on uh, key areas that we've elevated as organizational priorities and those include under five mortality, um, education in emergencies, cash in emergencies, and family violence. These are our sort of largest research agenda items at IRC, um, though we do have other, other areas of interest and, um, and uh, research, particularly under our cash in emergencies theme, we have a women's economic empowerment theme as well, and um, questions around the protection of women using cash transfers. What are the challenges and the opportunities uh, um, of conducting research in cash transfers or other social protection uh, programs in uh, fragile humanitarian contexts? So, <coughs> some of the challenges uh, in doing evaluations or conducting broader research around the specific topics of cash and emergencies are akin to the challenges of doing research in fragile context, just generally, right? So we have issues around, um, you know, the instability in a particular context. Uh, we would love as IRC to maintain a pretty high standard of rigor in our research. Um, that would presuppose that we can track groups over time very consistently. It would presuppose that our interventions do not change um, at least for the, the period under intervention or under evaluation. Um, this sometimes can be hard in, in the context in which we work, right? Particularly in more emergency-oriented, very fluid contexts where we're working with mo you know, very mobile populations. Um, in, in that instance, doing uh, impact evaluations with very high standard of rigor is, is, is pretty, pretty difficult. So um, that's a challenge. I think though, uh, particularly in the area of cash and emergencies, we have several opportunities to do work around more operational questions. So questions like, um, how do we target? Um, how do we target accurately, appropriately, and in a very cost-efficient way? We have the opportunity to uh, integrate the, uh, the use and testing of technologies in a, in a way that um, is uh, agile, flexible enough to respond to moving populations um, and their needs. Um, we have the opportunity to work with a, a wide range of partners, right, including those who provide uh, mobile money services, for example, and other technological products. So I see those as <laughs> challenges and opportunities in our work. And uh, why is this uh, a research area, a neglected area so far? Um, so I do believe that it, it, there probably are a number of responses to that. Um, if we think mostly about cash interventions, uh, 
um, there is a, a wealth of research, very rigorous, high quality research around the effectiveness of cash. Um, cash assistance, cash relief in any form, be it um, vouchers or mobile money or um, with conditionalities or without. Um, and I think the, the international community, be it humanitarian or development, is at a point of acceptance that this form of assistance is effective. However, most of the, most of the evidence is generated in more fragile, um, I'm sorry, in more development-oriented contexts, right? And not in the fragile context in which we work. So I think um, allowing uh, for conversations for different types of questions to emerge based on the different contexts in which we work in is critical for this research agenda. I think not enough attention has been paid to the nuances of context and just how important it is to ask these questions again um, when working in emergency or such protracted crises um, as opposed to working in more stable settings. So this sort of over-reliance on pre-existing evidence I think is one of the, the reasons. Um, another reason is the mis misconception um, that rigorous research cannot be done in these contexts, right? Um, fragile uh, crisis context, there is a perception that, um, you know, rapid action is needed and doing research just slows things down and that is really a misperception. Um, I think another reason could be that um, we, we've narrowed in a lot on the relationship between cash relief and the the ability to meet basic needs right a lot of the pre-existing research focuses on that relationship and the effectiveness of cash to help populations meet basic needs um, what we're realizing is that what's neglected are areas around or questions around how cash relief can affect or improve improve other outcomes so outside of meeting basic needs, other outcomes, very important outcomes for the populations we serve. Um, and then also there, there's a sort of um, not enough research being um, invested in and focused on um, these more operational questions. Um, so yes, cash is effective, but how do we do it more cost efficiently and how do we do it more safely? is in your experience uh, sorry what is your experience in collecting data and uh, is there a trade-off between uh, uh, urgency and quality mm -hmm. and uh, how can we address that <sighs> yeah um, our experience in collecting data uh, particularly around cash programming we know that uh, this is probably one of the most challenging parts of, of the work. Um, uh, from the design and um, sort of onset of the cash program, we want to know who to target and how to target them. That requires data collection. Yeah? And particularly with very mobile populations, you can imagine it, it, it is pretty hard to, to track people over time. Um, and there are significant costs in terms of just time and effort. 
to collect data and to do it rigorously. Um, developing scores, be it poverty index or you know vulnerability indices that can be used to determine who whom we should target, really does take quite a bit of time. And I think that IRC definitely realizes the tension between accuracy and urgency in these instances. And so what we're trying to do is to explore um, opportunities for us to reduce that time to become more, more cost efficient and time efficient as well in collecting da the data that's needed both to determine targeting and the data that's needed to understand how well the process has actually um, unfolded and whether our consumer needs or clients' needs are actually being met, whether they have experienced any issues, any um, breaches of safety in accessing cash. And so we're exploring um, a range of uh, options for improving um, our efficiency in that way. And that includes um, exploring pre-existing registries um, uh, in countries where they exist. So there are socioeconomic registries, for example, in Pakistan, um, where the, the government has already developed its own registry to base its so social protection program on. And tapping into that might take some time and, and effort in the first instance, but being able to use that as a basis and expand um, to include other vulnerable um, populations uh, pays for itself over time and um, allows us to have both relatively accurate data that we can supplement with community input and verify even more, um, but a stable database over time that would uh, allow us to spend less time collecting data in the future. Um, and I think on the back end, once the distribution has been done, uh, the cash disbursements have been done, um, we are definitely exploring uh, mobile options for collecting data to know from our clients how the process has gone, um, whether they've accurately um, you know, collected their money, whether, um, you know, and, and sort of how, how they've used it, what types of um, uh, impact it has had for them. In your um, experience, what are the main uh, pros and cons for administering social protection programs in humanitarian settings? Mm. So I, I do want to make a qualification. So for, for IRC, we don't quite have social protection programs per se, um, but we do work at at the intersection of cash and protection. I think that's the best way to characterize our work. Um, some of the pros and cons. Um, so if I think about more consistent cash delivery schemes, um, so of course the, the pros that accrue are all the things that we've, we know to be true of these types of assistance, right? So we know it's effective. We know that people use transfers wisely to meet their basic needs. Um, we know that we can uh, deliver cash um, faster and at a lower cost than in-kind distributions. We know that, um, yeah, so in other words, it's better to give people cash than buckets and blankets, right? We know this. Um, However, there, the cons, um, as I mentioned, you know, we do face these sort of operational inefficiencies for any type of distribution. Um, the, the cons, um, there, 
you know, we'd love to see more opportunities, to identify more opportunities to work with pre-existing databases, as I mentioned, I, because this makes sense if we envision um, working with key populations to respond to cyclical shocks or recurrent shocks, right? So if you can imagine in an area, um, for example, in Pakistan, there, there are particular districts, particular provinces that are always prone to flooding right, um, at particular times of year. So if we know this, we can actually pre-position the resources that are needed. We already have a, a mechanism for targeting those populations, understanding usually which ones are affected most um, severely by the floods. Um, working with the government databases will greatly help us in, in the future to be more efficient um, and uh, more responsive, more timely in, in our assistance. Um, I think, though, one of the persistent, I, I wouldn't say it's a pro or con, I think one of the persistent gaps in our work uh, from the humanitarian side um, and even in partnership with development actors and with governments is, again, really exploring um, what our type of assistance or cash assistance can do to meet the specific needs of women and girls. Right. This is an area that has really not gotten sufficient attention. Um, we understand that women and girls usually face uh, differential um, problems, right? Um, under situations of crisis and shock. And I think social protection programming, whether it be on the development side, whether it be on the humanitarian side through cash assistance, needs to pay more attention to that. What do you know, what do we know about how this program design components affect uh, dimensions of well-being? Um, what is the impact of this uh, on the well-being of the population we assist? Um, so great question. So, Again, there, there is increasing evidence about the impact of um, cash assistance on, on uh, more basic needs measures, so on where vi viable markets exist. So we know that cash is effective for improving food security um, under certain conditions, um, for reducing negative coping strategies such that people don't have to reduce their um, dietary intake, um, they don't have to pull their children out of school, they don't have to deplete their assets or their savings, um, they don't have to um, you know, push their children to work in order to um, you know, have more resources, um, so child labor in other words. So it's. Um, we do know that for those types of measures, um, cash assistance, particularly when targeted to women in households, can help to improve uh, nutritional outcomes um, and, and food security outcomes for the family, including the children. What we don't know very well just yet is the impact on broader measures of well-being, right? So not just um, uh, food and nutrition or meeting immediate basic needs, but thinking about um, mental health, for example, right? Um, thinking about safety um, and protection of women and girls. Um, there isn't a lot of evidence around that, particularly in fragile contexts. 
So this is part of the motivation for IRC's um, research agenda that focuses on the effectiveness or exploring the effectiveness of cash assistance or cash plus any other type of assistance to women and girls in fragile contexts for reduction of um, intimate partner violence, for example, for reduction of abuse, for reduction of um, sexual exploitation of any kind, including transactional sex. And we've done a, a couple of projects um, and have planned um, quite a few others to explore those themes. Uh, what are the main knowledge gaps uh, to better mm -hmm. leverage social protection in, in emergency contexts? Um, so if I might categorize them again, um, three bundles which IRC again has organized our research around. Um, knowledge gaps. We need to know more about the effectiveness of cash on other outcomes, not just basic needs, right? So even I've just mentioned um, uh, well, broader measures of well-being, uh, including um, psychosocial health, um, including mental health and household stress, um, physical well-being and health, um, safety. Uh, we need to. We definitely need to invest in more research there. Um, another area that I would say needs more work particularly for populations, um, uh, for women and girls in the fragile context, is how to safely deliver cash to them, right? So not just the effectiveness of the, the cash assistance, but the safety and the appropriateness of the modality. Um, more work needs to also be done on understanding, um, so, you know, how much cash, in what way and for how long can help particularly women and girls um, get to a tipping point where they're no longer meeting basic needs, but they have enough assets and resources to start thinking about livelihoods, right? Um, we, we still don't know where that tipping point is, how we get to that through um, cash assistance um, and, 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 you know, and other types of social protection inputs. Um, and then finally, another gap that um, I think has been well identified for us at IRC is the need to work more on the efficiency of the delivery, right? So this is separate from thinking about the safety of the delivery to women and girls, but thinking more broadly about the efficiency um, so we can reduce the cost of getting cash to people, so that we can reduce the opportunity cost of those we serve for accessing the, the cash in the first instance, um, so that we can think about um, you know, the time to delivery, so we don't want cash delivery to happen uh, you know, over 40 days you know, from the time of setting up the program to someone getting cash in hand. It should not take 40 days, right? It should not take 20 days. At IRC, we're striving to get cash in the hands within the first 72 hours of an emergency. And so a lot of our work is focused on figuring out how to do that. How can we improve evidence uh, on social protection programs in this so I believe one of the most critical things um, that's needed is a, a shared research agenda. So IRC has 
you know, very well articulated research agenda around the, the to broad topic of cash and emergencies and um, again focusing a lot on, an, on outcomes for women and girls. Um, but it would be, it would be, we could go so much further as an industry if there were a shared research agenda. So not just IRC or any other group doing their own research, but that um, a group, be it through the, you know, um, cash learning partnership or a broader, a much broader group that looks at other types of social protection um, modalities, not just cash, um, would come to the table both from the humanitarian and development side to think about the key questions that we can ask, leveraging, leveraging pre-existing evidence from other contexts, but thinking about the key questions that matter for all of us across um, our different work in, in protracted um, crisis settings. So a, a shared research agenda with um, new ways of thinking, you know, new, new, new partnerships, um, and also, of course, dedicated resources dedicated resources for, for investing in research. Um, there, of course, is a, a very uh, great commitment to improving or increasing the use of cash and humanitarian assistance. I mean, we know the grand bargain. Um, we've seen it over and over. There are several commitments across many key players, donors, and um, practitioner organizations uh, to support this investment, but these large gaps still exist in our knowledge and our evidence. So we would like to see um, more dedicated resources to research. Yes, to programming, but to research and even to a shared research agenda as well. Um, how can research help to bridge the humanitarian development uh, divide, if any? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think cash is a, is a great opportunity, like this area, this topic. Um, so I, I mentioned cash and cash assistance because that's what we do, and this is our entry point into the conversation around social protection. I think that research and evidence, um, it, it, the pre-existing research and evidence on cash, as I had mentioned, you know, comes from a more development sort of stable context. Um, just being able to share those experiences, share that research, share the thinking around the evaluations and the, and the research from those contexts um, with folks like IRC, outfits like IRC that are operating in more fragile contexts is already a meeting of the minds. And this, this can happen across research actors, right? It can happen across operational actors and can and should happen <laughs> across these actors in conjunction with policymakers, um, governments as well. Um, I think, again, this, this sort of setting of a shared agenda allows for the meeting of the minds. The other way that we can think about this, and this is not mutually exclusive by any means, is, um, thinking about the key issues that both humanitarian and development actors have in common, and again, targeting is probably one of those issues, right? Like establishing um, databases that are accurate and that are inclusive and that are flexible enough to accommodate um, recurrent shocks 
or, um, you know, or non-recurring shocks. I think that that is a joint project for um, humanitarian development, um, government actors alike. So I do think that there are opportunities um, both to build the research agenda by tapping into the existing evidence and creating a shared agenda to ask new questions in different ways, in different contexts. And I also think that on the operational side, there are opportunities for us to establish and support the development of systems that are critical both under emergency contexts or protracted crises contexts and um, you know, thinking forward for more um, sustained development. Um, can we discuss uh, what approaches can are proven to be successful to outcomes uh, over the longer term for children, household and livelihood uh, resilience? How do you define success for programs, mm. social protection programs? Or so, more broadly, at IRC, um, success for us is um, concrete, measurable, observable improvements in people's lives. Right? Um, not the number of deliveries that we made, not the number of people that we reached with particular assistance. Those are outputs. Those are things we can count. Success for us means that people's lives are markedly and measurably, observably improved in a meaningful way to them. Now, of course, we can't deliver, we can't claim to deliver or support that type of change in all aspects of people's lives. But what we, what we do at IRC is focus on the five key areas. Um, so education, health, economic well-being, power, and safety, safety or protection. And uh, for us, success around our cash work would include understanding and being able to reliably measure changes and improvements in people's lives in these five outcomes as a result of having cash assistance. Right? Um, another important measure of, of success for us is that um, in delivery of cash assistance that we narrow the gap between whatever the outcomes might be, not just basic needs, but as I mentioned, you know, sort of psychosocial well-being, um, mental health, um, safety for women and girls. We want to narrow the gap in these outcomes um, for, for men and women, right? So we don't want some populations to, um, to uh, to sort of have a greater impact or for our programs to have a greater impact for some populations than for others, right? We want to try as much as we can to have um, as, as equal and equitable uh, um, an impact across our work. Um, success would also mean like for our, our cash work, you know, reaching the people who need it most in the shortest amount of time and in the safest possible way. Um, success would also mean um, not having to reinvent the wheel every single time. Um, I mean, that by itself is not success, right? But it's, it's a step forward. It's a step forward. Um, 
it would mean you know not inundating our our clients with um, tons of paperwork and paper trails to verify their vulnerability each and every time, and that presupposes that we have excellent partnerships with those who are thinking about more sustained and systemic um, social protection programming or, or systems. Yeah? Um, it would also mean, um, I think it would also mean not having to do cash <laughs> delivery. <laughs> Ultimately, right? It would, it would mean, um, you know, helping as much as we can with all the actors that we can to get populations to the place where um, they do not ever need to dip below the line where they cannot meet their basic needs and that they have to have recourse to negative coping strategies. Uh, so you just mentioned your other partners. So what are actions by external partners uh, and interna or international organizations, including UNICEF, uh, can help or hinder effective social protection outcomes in emergency contexts? So the first response that comes to mind is one that I think is so common, so trite, that it's probably meaningless at this point. Um, but uh, it helps to think about coordinated efforts. Um, we definitely need to improve our coordination um, across different actors, um, particularly working in the same space. Um, we, I think, all partners together um, as we heard yesterday, all partners together, we can think more preactively about um, or proactively about prepositioning. Right. Um, so, in in longer term social protection programs, as we heard from um, Professor Derkon yesterday, um, there needs to be you know a credible commitment to meeting um, these promises that are made to the population, and that requires pre-positioning your financing, right? So I, I, I imagine that the same is true, and we definitely see it from the operational side um, in IRC, that pre-positioning our resources, so partnerships not only with other NGOs um, and with donors, of course, um, but with the, the other sort of market actors in the space, which we, which we anticipate delivering assistance on, would make a lot of difference, yeah? Um, making sure that we have registries that are accurate and up-to-date that governments know about and that we know about and that all the partners know about, right? So we're not scampering around serving people 10 times and stepping on each other's toes or, you know, respondents or clients have to respond to the same set of questions for 10 organizations, right? Um, it's also thinking about who can, who can actually deliver the cash in these contexts, who is equipped to do that, um, who has the resources to do that, um, which partners are set up technologically to uh, allow for mobile money transfers. Um, can they do payouts? Uh, do they have the capacity, um, not, not just knowledge, but do they literally have the sort of um, operational capacity to, to, pro to help us work at scale? Right? So thinking about who those partners are in advance and helping them to get ready as well would, would be meaningful. 
this in a very sort of practical um, way. I I do want to go back to, um, and since in the is about evidence and research anyway, I do want to go back to this idea of a shared research agenda. Right? I do think that, um, you know, there, there definitely exist platforms and networks um, within which we can share what we're learning. Um, but I think it would make a significant difference um, if we were to sort of pool our efforts to, to clearly articulate what we're learning together, how we would do that together, who is learning what, at what stages, using what methods, um, and having the funding to support that. The last question is uh, uh, about cash transfers programs. What is the evidence about the role of cash transfers in humanitarian pro uh, fragile contexts? Mm -hmm. So the, the evidence here is very slim, right? cash transfers in particular, um, in fragile contexts. Um, so what we're doing is trying to to build this evidence, right? So again, we know it's effective because it's worked in other contexts and there's you know, increasing um, studies about what this can do and how effective it can be in humanitarian crisis settings, but there's, there's still significant gaps. Um, and what, but what we're seeing, and I can give an example from our work um, at IRC, is that um, cash transfers um, can be feasibly and safely delivered to specific populations under crisis contexts. Um, from our, our, our work in DRC, for example, um, around a, a cash transfer program that was established in, um, in uh, IDP camps in North Kivu, um, from that work, we we learned that the perceived impact, and I say perceived because this was not a, um, it was a, a continuous improvement model with qualitative um, data collection, right? So uh, if we wanted to do this more rigorously, we would need to um, have like a, an impact evaluation that uses more quantitative um, methodology and that we have planned for for the Syria region. But for that program in DRC, what we realized is that, you know, given cash even to adolescent girls, so girls that are 15 to 19 years old um, living in IDP camps, giving cash to them can have an impact um, beyond helping them and their families to meet basic needs. So we did this program three, well, four tranches uh, or four distributions, um, and after each distribution, we did um, sort of qualitative data collection among a sample of, of the recipients, and we found that for the girls, what mattered was yes that they could help their families. They they almost always immediately. Um, used the money for helping their families to meet basic needs and particularly to help um, younger siblings or their parents with um, health needs, like getting medicines that they need, for example. But beyond that, we realized that it mattered to the girls because they having the cash allowed them to have a sense of autonomy, if you will, um, a perceived sense of agency. 
um, the ability to make decisions, the ability to help others was actually very important for their well-being beyond the ability to meet the basic needs. Um, we also realized that um, in instances where, where, where the, the cash that was provided was in excess of the amount needed to meet basic needs, that the girls started, you know, sort of like small trading activities. It's a very small trading. So not establishing businesses, but small trading. And that, you know, started to, to indicate to us that, well, you know, we really do need to think critically about the amount of the duration of of our um, cash programming that would help us to get to that point where people have some means of livelihood development. And, you know, minimal as it was, it was still important for us to observe that and to understand that that's an a potential effect of, of cash transfer programming. Um, we also realized from that research that the girls, again, where the, the cash transfer was in excess of what was needed for basic needs, the girls were able to better articulate their aspirations for the future. Right? So it not only had this sort of immediate return, but they started to think about and were able to articulate and communicate more clearly what they see themselves doing. Right. So um, again, I think it was in uh, one of the plenaries yesterday. There was a, a, a statement about it's it's not just cash alone, right? But we need to understand the mechanisms through which cash programming or cash plus anything else can have an impact, a positive impact on on how our our, um, our clients think and feel and operate. We also learned that um, for the girls, it was. Um, an opportunity to build social standing, right? To, to be sort of seen and respected in a particular way. It was an opportunity to, to build social networks. They would go to trusted others, um, be they friends or, or older folks, for advice about how to use the money, what to do, um, and so forth. So these were also positive returns um, to the program itself. I must also mention that there are also certain risks that were posed to the girls, right? Um, some of their their friends and sometimes family members, you know, there was a perceived sense of maybe intimidation or even jealousy, right? And that was important for us to know because we needed to understand how to mitigate that and how to ward against that. Um, and even more broadly, we needed to understand how to deliver cash to these girls in this context in a way that would be safe for them, right? And finally, we learned that um, giving cash transfers to, again, girls 15 to 19 um, also helped to reduce what we would call um, negative coping behavior or, or, or sexual exploitation or transactional sex, where girls would um, indulge in sexual activities um, in exchange for, for things that they needed. Right. Um, we did see a reduction in that um, behavior as a result of the cash transfers. So this is one example, um, but it allowed us not only to observe and understand um, the potential for cash um, uh, effectiveness in this space, but also to map out what we're calling a well, what we call a theory of change, right? To understand what are the mechanisms through which cash actually has an impact, not just on meeting basic needs, but on well-being in, in um, a sort of more broadly defined 